Good morning. Peace be with you. Please take a look at your bulletins and the insert for the things that are coming up this week. I want to direct your attention to Mission Sunday and that uh, this month your donations will go to Samaritan's Purse and uh, in their efforts to uh, help those who have fled uh, the crisis in Afghanistan. And uh, also that we are nearing our celebration of 60 years and that uh, hopefully you're saving the date for the uh, celebration here and looking forward to it with expectancy of uh, a chance to see and to remember and to uh, just appreciate and, and uh, give thanks for his provision, his being our Father who art in heaven, for blessing this uh, congregation, this church for that many years and the lives that have been here and have been touched and, and how they have gone out from these doors and proclaim Christ and him crucified. That's a, that's a wonderful thing, and all thanks and all glory is his. I'll let you go through the rest of that on your leisure. Today, uh, the first time ever, uh, my wife and my youngest son will be helping uh, with the sacrament. They will be uh, handing the elements to you, and uh, it is funny how God's timing works this way, but there was a question that was brought up. Is it proper for a woman to um, participate in uh, Holy Communion in side by side with the pastor? And does this church allow that? And the answer is absolutely yes. We don't have a prohibition on that, and there's no reason for us to have a prohibition on that. And so um, it just so happened that uh, Tracy was available and David was available and they will be helping today. And the Lord is perfectly fine with that. And I hope everyone in attendance is too. And everyone that sees it on our uh, live stream is as well. Okay. And then uh, a little bit of um, self-indulgence and personal news. It was a very big day for the Whitney family yesterday. We got some incredible news, news that um, you just don't really think about until it hits you, and that is that our oldest son is going to be married. He asked the young lady to marry him, and she said yes. And so that is exciting. Thank you very much. And I was telling David, I said, ah, thank you. I was telling David on the drive up here, I said, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. And by his grace and his help, we'll, we'll do it right. But uh, those of you with married children can appreciate the emotions that Tracy and I are going through, and she's starting to get teary-eyed a little bit here. It's crazy. It is. And, um, but we are delighted. And so please uh, lift up John and Kelly uh, in your prayers. We would appreciate it. Let's get started, Tim. Children of the 
come together this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Let us confess our sins to God our Father, most merciful God. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for you, and for his sake he forgives you all of your sins. And as your called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. <clears throat> this is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain whose blood set us free to be people of God. Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory are his. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Sing with all the people of God and join in the hymn of all creation. Blessing and honor and glory and might be to God and the Lamb forever. Amen. This is the feast of victory for our God, for the Lamb who was slain has begun his reign. 
Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Everlasting Father, source of every blessing, mercifully direct and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that we may complete the works that you have prepared for us to do through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. First reading this morning is taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, 10 through 16, and 24 through 29. And this can be found in your Pew Bible on page 224. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, and it chronicles Israel's 38 to 40 years wandering in the desert and their disobedience of God, as probably written by Moses. Numbers chapter 11, beginning with verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let my, me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. 
a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Our second reading is taken from Psalm 104, verses 27 through 35, which is found in your bulletin. This is a hymn to the Creator and the wonders of the natural world that God had created. We'll read it responsibly. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. The epistle this morning is taken from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And this can be found on page 1884 in the Pew Bible. Now there are four James in Holy Scripture, four different people named James. The one that wrote this is not the Apostle James, but rather a brother of Jesus who was writing to Jewish converts to Christianity and when they were scattered and oppressed following the death of Stephen. Now John initially, James initially did not believe his brother was the son of God, but over time he came to not only realize that, but became very zealous about that. James chapter five, beginning with the first verse. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. 
Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark from the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this morning is St. Mark. It is chapter 9, verses 38 through 50, and can be found on page 1569 in your pew Bible. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and that they were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire 
never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. You know what a hyperbole is? Uh, Hyperbole is the use of a over-the-top exaggeration to make a point. And parents do this all the time. For example, you may have said, you may have heard, If I told you once, I've told you a... Okay, or a million. That's hyperbole right there. You're right. A thousand, a million times. And as a parent, it may feel like I've told you a thousand or a million times. But in truth, it's, it's a little less than that, right? The real meaning of a sentence like that goes something like this. I have told you this so often, often enough, that you really should remember it, right? Now, Jesus often used hyperbole to make a point, as you just heard. And to Bonnie's grandchildren who just heard this and might go home and go, oh my gosh, they're talking about mangling people in church, grandma's church. Um, No, it's hyperbole. There you go. Dazzle them with hyperbole. Jesus said this, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Three times Jesus tells us that it is better to mutilate ourselves than to allow sin to live in or on us. And with these hyperboles, Jesus is telling us that sin is very serious and that we need to get rid of it at any cost, at any cost. Jesus also wants us to understand that leading others 
into sin is a terrible, terrible thing. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now here, the Greek presents the picture of a millstone that is so large that a human cannot grind with it. It just can't be done. It's too big. But that a person would have to use a donkey to drive this millstone. Tracy and I were sitting together yesterday afternoon, early evening, and a show called The Sopranos came on on uh, HBO. And the millstone makes me think of what the stereotypical organized crime do with somebody who is a snitch or a rat, right? They go sleep with the fishes. They would uh, maybe put their feet in uh, cement, right? And then they'd, they'd throw them off. And it's a hopeless death that that person would succumb to. And Jesus is saying this, that such a fate as being tied to a stone and sinking in the depths of the sea, that such a fate is better than the fate that awaits somebody who causes one of the little ones to sin. That's what it means. So, although Jesus often used hyperbole to make a point, he never used it to talk about hell. You or me, one, cannot use hyperbole to teach about hell. In fact, there are no words in any earthly language that can exaggerate the horrors of hell. It's that bad. The limits of language mean that any description of hell would be an understatement. That the reason that Jesus is so serious about sin, that sin is actually more serious than a simple death on this earth. Sin leads to eternal death in hell. That's a hell that Jesus describes with horrible words, words like the worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. Hell is a wretched experience where one experiences all the horror and the terror and the torture of the dying process without release, without the release that one experiences in an earthly death. It is a dying process that lasts forever. It's horrible as this all sounds, it really is an understatement of the eternal tortures of hell. So, it is indeed true that it is better to be handless or to be footless or to be half blind or slowly drowned in the heart of a sea 
than to experience the eternal horror of hell. So the question is, or the questions are, does chopping or lopping off body parts keep us from sinning? Does sin really originate in the hand or in the foot or in the eye? And if it did, could we really prevent sin by drowning at sea? It would be worth it if we could, but we just can't. If we chopped off every body part that participated in sin, we would soon be a congregation of deaf and mute and blind and armless and legless. We'd be a pitiful sight. But despite all of that, we would still be able to commit all kinds of sins. You see, Jesus starts each of those sentences about the eye, about the hand, and about the foot. He starts them with the word if. If is a hypothetical situation. If doesn't say it is that way, but it asks us to imagine what it would be like under a certain set of circumstances. In fact, the word if may produce a totally ridiculous idea with the purpose of introducing us to a much deeper truth. That is what Jesus is doing here. He is asking, well, he's teaching over the top, way over the top, in order to make a point. Okay, so stay with me here. Sin does not originate in a hand. Sin does not originate in a foot or in an eye. In the gospel reading from two weeks ago, the one where I took us all to a place I shouldn't have, but that is the inside of a diaper genie. Do you remember that? Well, Jesus in that gospel from Mark 7, 20 through 23, said this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, from our heart, and they defile a person. So the hand touches or does what the mind tells it to do. The foot goes where the mind tells it to go. And the eye looks where the mind tells it to look and then provides simple raw data for the mind to interpret. In all of these cases, it is the mind that uses these organs of the body to do good or to do evil. If we really wanted to go without sin, we'd have to 
amputate our minds. And of course, if we did that, we would all be dead. Without a mind, it doesn't make any difference if the rest of the body is tooling around like a finely tuned Ford. Okay, that's hyperbole. There isn't such a thing as a finely tuned Chevy. If the mind is dead, you are dead, and that is that, period. End of story, full stop. So as we follow along with Jesus' illustration and we take it to its logical conclusion, we find ourselves trapped in an impossible situation. And that is, sin is very serious because it leads to hell. And hell is a place of horror beyond all our contemplation. We just can't imagine. And since the ultimate source of all sin is in our thoughts and feelings, the only way that we can avoid sin with our own resources is not to think or feel. And the only way that we can do that is to not have lived in the first place. We are doomed. The moment that we were conceived, our only hope must come from outside of ourselves, for we cannot chop off the true source of our dilemma. We just can't do it. And that is the reason that Jesus took on his humanity. As the Son of God, he took on human hands, and he took on feet and eyes and all other features of humanity with one very important exception. That he took on humanity, but he did so without sinning. With his eyes... He saw the crowds, and he had compassion. And with his hands, he brought healing. And with his feet, he delivered the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus took all of his body parts into the Jordan, where John baptized him. And because that he had lived a sinless life, he could take our sin onto himself. And that is exactly what he did. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And through baptism in the Jordan, Jesus sanctified and he instituted instituted all waters to be a blessed flood, a lavish, prodigal washing away of sin. And Jesus carried our sins to the cross. Because he led a life without sin, his sacrifice would mean something. Because he was carrying our sin, he could offer up himself for us. And that's exactly what he did. He did not merely chop off a hand or a foot or an eye. No, he gave up all of the parts that we have ever used as we sin. He gave up everything. He gave up his hands, his feet, 
And they were nailed to the cross. And on that cross, he gave his hands, his feet, his eyes, and everything else. He gave his entire body as a sacrifice that secured eternal life for you and for me. And Jesus not only gave his body parts into death on the cross, but he also raised those same body parts in glory. He not only sacrificed himself to save us from hell, but he also promises a new eternal life with him in his resurrection. And even though Jesus said that it was better to enter heaven crippled than to enter hell with all of our body parts, he promises this. Which promises does he keep? Okay, listen to this promise. He promises to raise our bodies in perfection. He promises to raise our bodies so that sin is the only thing that we leave behind. We cannot use hyperbole to describe the resurrection to eternal life because earthly language just does not have the resources to apply hyperbole to heaven. And just as no earthly language has the words to exaggerate the evil of hell, so also no earthly language can exaggerate the good, the perfection of heaven. The perfection of heaven is simply beyond our understanding. And although we cannot fully understand these things, we do understand them enough, enough to know a little bit. What do we know? Number one, we know that hell is a destination to be avoided at all cost. And number two, heaven is a destination to be desired at all costs. And in spite of this, we have done everything we could to earn an eternity in hell. We are all conceived and born sinful and under the power of the devil. And we would be lost forever unless we were delivered from sin, death, and everlasting condemnation. We must have a deliverer. And he's here with you right now. Jesus Christ is that deliverer. Jesus is the only one who sacrificed his hands and his feet and his eyes and his blood and all his other body parts to rescue us from our sin. And he is the only one who raised his body after he died for us. And after he rose, he promised to raise us and he is the only one who can keep such a promise. Only those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. And they will not perish, but live in perfect joy forever. In the name of Jesus.
Amen. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His Watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear, and resting on his Will you please stand if you're able? Let us now confess our faith together to the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, keep us from craving and weeping after what we no longer possess, but instead give us contentment in the daily bread that you so graciously rain down upon us. Lord, in your mercy, cause your Holy Spirit to rest upon us and our pastors that they may prophesy your word publicly and faithfully among us and that we, the people of your church, in turn, may prophesy your word in our homes and our vocations. Lord, in your mercy. Oh, Lord, bless our elders and church council with the necessary gifts of your Spirit that they may faithfully serve the congregation, support our pastor, and uphold the ministry of the Word amongst us. Lord, in your mercy. Send forth your Spirit, Father, over all couples who desire the gift of children, that they may be fruitful and bring up their children in your fear and knowledge. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, uphold local, state, and federal law enforcement. And those who bear the sword in our land, that sin and wickedness may be kept at bay, and that we may live peaceable lives in security. Lord, in your mercy, save and raise up those who are suffering or sick, especially those we lift up in our hearts and out loud right now. Lord, in your mercy, Grant, Lord, that all who come to the altar today to receive the heavenly manna of Christ's body and blood would be well salted with repentance and faith and at peace with one another. Lord, in your mercy. And all these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again, and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now may the peace of the Lord be with you always. 
<laughs> Will you pray with me? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right and salutary that we should at all times and all places offer thanks and praise to you, O Lord, Holy Father, through Christ our Lord, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection he opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, Lord God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the night in which our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he gave thanks. And then he broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks. And then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim Christ's death, his resurrection, and his glorious coming again. Let us pray now together the prayer that Jesus gave to us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. And um, Jesus truly did give it all, especially as it was laid out 
his feet, his eyes, his hands, his blood, his everything given for you and for me because we couldn't give enough to be righteous with God. But he could and he did. And this meal is your assurance that your sins are forgiven, that you are rescued from death, the devil, and sin, and you have an inheritance in heaven, an eternal life of joy with the Father. May it comfort you and keep you. If you would like, and I'd love to be your waiter, you can stay. A few of you that, that I would appreciate you do it, but I'm not going to tell you what to do, but go ahead if you like, and I'll come to you. Come, the table is prepared. Thank you.
Oh, 
song i think it's the right terminology is the refrain refrain goes jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow it takes new meaning after hearing what he gave again hearing again to rescue you and me and that's what worship is all about that's what their this path that we are on is all about. You heard me say that we prophesy. Did you hear that in that prayer? That you would go home and prophesy? Did you think you were going to foretell the future when you heard that, that I was asking that? I had to, to kind of look it up just to make sure I was using the right word. Prophesy means to speak that which is divinely revealed. That's the gospel. So if I read or you read the gospel to somebody, a, a verse, you are prophesying. You are giving something that is divinely revealed to you. And that's what we call having the Holy Spirit do the gospel unto the hearer. So that's what we get to do. And now the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his perfect peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Immortable, easy for me to say, immortal, invisible.
Only the spring. 